Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, today we're talking about content marketing, sometimes called brand-funded content and a host of other descriptors. Who's not doing it today? But is it working? This week, I spoke to the head of content marketing at a large company who's not on this podcast, who told me, and I quote, open up Facebook and you're awash with mostly crap content, horrible stuff. Content marketing as a whole seems to be the opportunity for marketers to make very cheap ads because they only spend very cheap media dollars promoting it, close quotes. Now, that's just one view from one well-known brand in the Australian market. Today, we have a panel of blue chip content marketers who have a different view and who are going to talk through the massive change they've faced this year as a result of COVID. What's working, what isn't, what's changed, and where is it all going? As a quick heads up, a survey of US marketers last month by NewsCred and Circan Research showed 72% said they would increase or significantly increase their content budgets through and post-COVID, second only to virtual events, and isn't everybody trying that one? So to talk through where it's all headed, welcome Jill Tenner, Senior Content Manager at Coles, Zara Curtis, Director of Content and Customer Engagement at IAG, and Lauren Quainance, Head of Content at Storiation, a content agency acquired last year by News Corp. Welcome to you all. Uh, Lauren, to you first on the big picture. We mentioned those figures from the US on marketers and what they're going to spend on content marketing as a result or coming out of COVID, through COVID and out of COVID. What's the sense here in Australia, Lauren, for what brands are up to? And are we headed in the same direction as the US? Well, what we've seen, Paul, I think in the last few months is that it's been a time for not selling, not the hard sell to your customers. It's been about a time for solving their problems and adding some value. And I guess that's fundamentally what content marketing is. It's about it's about providing something of value to customers, um, being authentic and sort of you know connecting with those that audience. In a way, the kind of shift to digital we've seen during COVID-19 has meant that content has become even more important, you know, this period is in a way kind of prove the efficacy of content marketing because content is the fuel for the digital marketing engine. Without content, um, you, you really can't, you know, connect with those customers over the different touch points. So do you think to the point of what's happening in the US though, Lauren, is, uh, are Australian marketers seeing that doing the same thing, have the same sort of sense of investment increases is what uh, the US marketers are talking about? And I, I probably should caveat that, that that study was heavily weighted to technology companies when I saw the, the breakdown, but nevertheless, um, their intent is, you know, significant increases in, in content marketing. Australians doing the same thing. Well, I guess that the, that brands that didn't have a content marketing program a few months ago have been scrambling to build one. And that, that partly, of course, because there's been a number of things that they can't do. You know, there's, there's you know, very little out of home. You know, you can't do those kind of virtual events and trade events. You've got to find that way to connect with an audience. So I think we've certainly seen those brands that didn't have a content program three, four, five months ago looking to build one. I guess the, what we're here to talk about today is what what is what is a good content program? What is one that actually works and, you know, drives a value and return on investment for your business? And we will loop back around with you on your your sort of view on the market on that, Lauren. Um, Zara Curtis, what's good, what works? You you joined, I think, IAG in about 2018 to set up its content unit. How's that going? And, and, and what's changed in this crazy year between, and for you guys, you've got, you know, bushfires and COVID. I think you pretty much had to reassess everything, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, we've got a pretty hefty content team, about 12 
producers now and on a, I think it was about March 5 um, we were told to clear out of the building and we haven't been back so we've had to learn how to produce live from home and not in the same place so that's been a challenge but um, to echo your question to Lauren Paul I really do think there is a lot of bad content out there so it's our job as content marketers to make sure what we do put out into the world is good and also on brand so we really approach content from a brand and brand purpose position a show not sell and we don't push products so help is our platform of content and always on and we really lean into that so COVID was no different a lot of our helpful content really didn't resonate when people weren't driving cars and in lockdown uh, so we pivoted pulled back we I think we did an editorial meeting on a Sunday night and really looked at what we needed and I think we were producing within seven days Obviously, some pretty heavy customer comms around that time, but continuing our always-on content strategy of helpful stories, NRMA is helpful people and a country of helpers, and we saw sentiment really go through the roof as soon as we did that. So less content, absolutely true to brand and consistency. So what happened, uh, Zara, though, when COVID hit and you realised this was getting to get serious? I think you said you, you looked at your content lineup and went, well, there's not just a lot there that's relevant to this new crazy time. And you had to sort of start over, I think, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had our stories of help, Paul. So we put in a call to Lauren pretty quickly and went with the philosophy of move at the speed of culture. So we were really trying to keep up with the news agenda. So we had the platform uh, for content, we just needed new stories to tell. So we had to get out there and create them. And we also had our producers producing from home content as well, moving into you know educating kids at home and how to help. And then of course, we had to get some serious messages out there that our branches were closed and our staff were all working from home. So ING mobilised quickly and we had some basic comms to get out to. We zip back to Christmas and the bushfires. You've got an interesting story to tell there about what IAG was doing through the bushfires. And I think Lauren was involved in that as well. But between the two of you, just uh, explain what you did, because it's quite an interesting sort of tale, really, on, on, on how you adapted to those, to those kind of times of crisis. Yeah, well, it was IAG purely in purpose, right? there and then in the bushfire help and we realised that we had stories to tell from the ground so we sent journalists out into those towns and stories to communicate help and we saw our um, you know, engagement go up by 42% just sharing basic stories of the help and what we actually needed to do. And again, I think halfway through COVID, um, you know, we had all the tools there to produce and to produce quickly and turn around and cut down those approval times and really just make sure that it was factually correct and relevant and fast. Moving at that speed of culture became really important. But like I was going to say, halfway through COVID, Paul, we realised that the bushfire story still hadn't gone away and we needed to keep telling them. So we really um, refocused on that as well. People needed positive news stories while they were in lockdown. So we latched onto World Koala Day and ended up producing a half-hour TV show with Dr Chris Brown that streamed right. live um, for Port Macquarie Koala Hospital that we sponsor. And we produced a beautiful virtual school excursion, the first ever in the world, releasing the last koala from the bushfires. So we managed to join our stories together and use COVID as context and create content for people that was relevant. That's fantastic. And, and given that I'm podcasting at the moment from Port Macquarie, where I live, well done, Zara Curtis. Lauren Quainitz, you, you talk about, you know, a few years back, there was this big move for, for brands to create news hubs, if you like, and, and to create 
create sort of fast-moving uh, content. I think you, you suggested it got a little bit ridiculed, and I saw a bit of criticism of it some years ago. But increasingly, that's the case, right? You've got to move quickly and think. Uh, I think Zara talks about thinking like a marketer, acting like a publisher. This is this is sort of something that you think brands need to to actually pick up and run with. I think the idea of a brand newsroom got negative talk a few years back, but but essentially, whether it's building a newsroom internally, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily the answer, or it's working with an agency like ours that's got a background in journalism and media and knows how to move fast and has the people that can get on the ground in the bushfires, you know, like for example for IAG, where the people we were using there who moved very quickly um, are otherwise shooting, you know, photography for the AFR, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian. You know, these are these are guys with kind of 30 years experience in news who can move quickly, who are kind of managed by our team, who understand the brand and the brand objectives and, and can actually kind of produce that stuff at the speed of culture, which is, you know, something Zara and I are talking about more and more. You know, how do you actually kind of move that fast? I think that's the big shift and it might be something we talk about more today, but, you know, brands are becoming more nimble. We've had to become more nimble during this period. It's not enough to kind of, you know, set and forget a content program to kind of, you know, as brands have done in the past, kind of, you know, a quarter's worth of content and then kind of just set it to kind of run. It's it's about reading that sentiment on a daily basis about what people want to hear from you, what you have the kind of opportunity to talk about, um, where you can legitimately play a role. And and I think that whether it's a brand newsroom that you build, you know, inside your marketing team or if it's you, you look at the right agency support about how you do it, it's it's not enough to kind of, you know, have this kind of tired old um, content that you just kind of, you know, push out to people and, and, and increase the noise because back to the original point, there's a lot of stuff out there that is that is frankly substandard and just a huge volume of stuff. And the biggest thing now for brands is how to stand out amid the noise. Yeah, and I think we definitely will come back and talk about this because, you know, the, there is obviously uh, organisational challenges to moving quickly and getting things, you know, process and approval flows and all those things that, are, you know, sort of block fast-moving responses to culture. But, but Jill, um, you're probably the exact opposite to Zara in that, you know, where, you know, Zara said people aren't that aren't that interested in insurance products or insurance during a, a crisis and you've really got to nail down what's what's right and what the content is. You're on the you're the antithesis. You were Coles, and everyone was looking for food and and stocking up at home. You wouldn't have had that problem, I imagine, through COVID. No, absolutely not. And I mean, what a privilege to help support and reassure our customers during such a period of, of great uncertainty. And really, um, you know, that was really what was driving us throughout our approach to producing content and and moving so quickly during you know a rapidly changing situation that was completely uncharted for. for the population as a whole for Coles and, you know, for, for Australia. What's been the standout through COVID for you in terms of your content initiatives? You're just a couple of them just to give us a sense of, of, of what you were doing and, and what resonated with the public. Yeah, well, I think, you know, to Zara's point around um, moving so quickly, um, we were able to to get our What's For Dinner Live um, segment and partnership on Channel 7 turned around within just five days. And that was really reading the customer sentiment around providing some inspiration, um, some you know, lighthearted sort of um, ideas to help customers, you know, back into the kitchen. Um, you know, after many years, some people may have moved away from the kitchen and, and enjoyed a, a life of greater convenience, but COVID really put us all back on an equal footing in terms of being, you know, um, fending for ourselves at home in our kitchens. And we were really able to, um, you know, pull together a compelling way of, of filming at home with chefs on their iPhones, um, largely uncharted territory there in terms of lower production values and, it was yeah. really learning as we went and um, to see Curtis Stone in his kitchen in LA in lockdown 
um, teaching customers how to cook a roast chicken. And, and with all of this set up, it was, you know, great to see. And I think that sense of community and, and camaraderie really came through in that. And, you know, we've now had over 100 segments air um, since April and with fantastic uh, response from, from customers. Well, the r- rumour has it that, you know, you might even be out writing the news in which it sits on Channel 7. Is that is that true, Jill? That, that might uh, that might be true, but um, it's been fantastic to be able to provide that inspiration to customers and, you know, just anecdotally how, how well that's resonated with customers. And, and it's certainly been a holistic approach to making sure that if customers see it on the TV, how are we then helping to facilitate their access to those recipes um, and making sure that we've got a complete ecosystem in place. And moving very quickly, we were on... We were on um, on air, you know, seven nights a week at one point, and then we've sort of been tapering down to five nights a week. So really making sure that each of the channels is in lockstep with one another to make sure that the content is there when customers need it. I want to come back to a couple of the points, but Lauren, when when Jill talks about low production uh, quality, which is oh, I've seen the, the, those those spots uh, on Seven, and you're absolutely, you I mean they're on their iPhones. You're hearing the echo in the kitchen. It's not flash for broadcast television, but there's a lot of leeway during COVID, isn't there, for for production values? But does it, do you think that's permanent? Does that sit there, or is it will we move out of that as we come out of out of uh, out of COVID or get through the other side? I think there's already a bit of Zoom fatigue in terms of, um, you know, those production values. I think it was absolutely right for the moment. And I think that, you know, we were all sitting around the house in our, in our uh, tracksuit pants and, and, and people in Melbourne still are at the moment. But I think that you will see that taper off. I think there's probably, it's probably a halfway house. I think that we don't kind of need that kind of cinematic production values, that kind of level of, of polish, you know, that perhaps, you know, creative agencies are producing. People want to, and this is something we see as an agency a lot, there's a kind of demand for video content that that is, you know, higher frequency, lower budget. That's a real challenge um, for brands um, that we that we look to sort of fulfil by using you know kind of smaller teams of videographers, and and not necessarily kind of you know kind of having the, that full production every single time. I think there is something in the middle though, and we probably is a bit of a shift back um, towards something with a little bit of finesse um, without being the full um, cinematic production. Jill, you talked about uh, earlier about uh, how on on this sort of, I guess, simple production values, but also you repurposed and resurfaced a lot of old content because people like Zara had to learn how to boil an egg again because she hadn't done it for a while. Um, was that was that really um, how, how big was the interest in the in that in those basics that uh, that happened through your content strategy through COVID? Yeah, the interest has always been strong, actually, in that sort of yeah quite basic content, and um, I guess the anonymity of being able to search for that really you know how to content on YouTube is, has always been there. It just gave us an opportunity to really resurface it. And, you know, we've been quite fortunate in that, you know, Coles has invested in content over many, many years. So our archive of content is, is quite extensive and we've been able to really um, pull that together in a way that, you know, reads the mood of the customer, obviously keeps seasonality top of mind, but also with the economic overlay of customers, you know, um, potentially working reduced hours or having uh, going on furlough or, or forced leave and those types of things. So we've been able to really make sure that we've had the right content for customers um, and making sure that, um, yeah, that we've, we've hit the right balance, hopefully between, you know, in, inspiration and birthdays and isolation to slow cooking and, and how to boil an egg, how to cook rice, et cetera. So it's, um, it's given us a great opportunity to resurface a lot of that um, archive and also to integrate it um, in conjunction with our catalogue as well, which has been a really exciting step forward to help customers find great value um, when they're shopping with us, but then to pair it with the recipe inspiration 
has probably been one of the real step changes for us in, in content marketing. I think you also say that content marketing is sort of redefined or helped or has been redefined inside Coles as a result of COVID as well. And that maybe many of the disparate channels that have struggled to, to get along in the past, you, you've got a bit of new co- cohesion as a result of this. Um, could just elaborate a little quickly on that. Yeah, well, we've been able to kind of really you know, read the customer's engagement with our content. And I think it was Lauren who said, you know, the internet has really become the destination for content marketing now. And, and as a result of that, we've, we've pulled together a number of those disparate channels under a new sort of um, banner, which is Coles and Co, where we do integrate a number of different sort of content streams coming into that. And that's now a daily sort of feed on, on Coles.com, which will go through our social feed, et cetera, to be, really provide customers with um, relevant content throughout the week, uh, which is seasonally relevant. Uh, we've got Father's Day coming up, Christmas, Halloween, all those sorts of things. It really gives us an opportunity to make sure that customers are receiving the right content in the channels that they want to see it, but wrapped up under a, a more holistic umbrella that allows us to, to pull all of those channels together. Sarah, what sort of work did you do through COVID? I think less is more, I think, was part of your strategy. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Less is more. Look, um, everyone likes to be called a content creator. I'd rather be called a content killer. I think what you don't publish is the art of content marketing. So we literally stayed very simple. Um, Above the line, you know, we turned out a really simple brand ad. We stayed true to help message, positive stories, believing in trust, letting us um, know we're there for customers. We really tried to avoid COVID comms language, you know, in unprecedented times. And we just talked quite plainly and simply and and held true to the brand of help um, that that we built. And I think if it wasn't helpful, and I think the other thing we really had to assess was, is it our role? You had a lot of people saying a lot of things that actually became noise in itself around COVID and about COVID. So we paired that right back. Um, and really just communicated the absolute helpful essentials for brand. And then we let the government and everyone else do their COVID comms job. And I guess the, the big question now to all of you then is um, how do you measure success or otherwise? So what, what is the measurement and the metrics that tell you that it's working or it's, it's doing a job for the brand and for the business? Um, so maybe Zara, you first. Uh, what's, your, what's your metrics? Yeah, we set up our metrics some time ago. So we look at share of social, which is our share of voice in insurance and financial services and then all brands. So maintaining our number one position pre, during and post COVID was very important to us um, with a less is more content um, strategy during the COVID times. We increased our engagement, which is our other key metric. Um, average of likes, comments and shares when looking at owned and social channels. We increased that by 42%. And so far we've held at that. The other thing, sentiment. Um, We can see sentiment vary greatly depending what's going on in the world. And we held it about 90% positive to 97 during COVID. And again, we haven't gone back. So I think as the world looked inwards and went, you know, to safety and help, our brand promise really resonated and we've just seen it hold at that. So we're really we're really pleased with that for now. It must be very difficult though when you for maybe not you, Zara, because perhaps you're set on the strategy, but less is more and then trying to hold uh, market share or share of voice in a platform where there's so much happening. It must be very, very difficult tempting to just keep pumping volume because a lot of people are. Yeah, I guess we have a really clear plan around what is brand for reach purposes versus engagement. So we strike a a pretty keen balance to that. And then really looking at our paid content strategies as well, Paul, it really must be that mix, as we all talk about, between paid, owned and earned. So we 
um, circulate and navigate through those channels um, pretty evenly to, to make sure that happens and build that content ecosystem. People think of it in isolation. We think of it as a united whole connecting right through from above the line and pulling it through content. Jill, your, your measurement metrics, how are you uh, judged on your success and how do you judge the, the success of your content? What are the key metrics for you at Coles? Yeah, I mean, we certainly have, you know, we look at all of the sort of the, the day-to-day key metrics on engagement and hotspots on our website, return visits, followers, and, and sort of the, the typical sort of social ones. But for us, it kind of, how is this sort of laddering up to sort of the greater um, net promoter scores that we're tracking um, on a weekly basis? all of our brand metrics, particularly around trust and, and helping out, helping support our customers as well. So we're tracking those on a, on a weekly basis and, and really interrogating those and watching how those are fluctuating over the, um, over the period. And of course, that's varying by state as each of the different states are going through a different period of COVID as well and how we're best able to, to respond to that and make sure that our messaging and our content is appropriate based on each of the states and where they're currently at as well. So I think one of the other things that we've also been looking at is, has really been around, you know, how customers are, are choosing to engage with us and, and looking at how the channel channel engagement has been changing focus or changing, um, you know, distribution across each of those channels and, and certainly listening through all of our sort of customer care centres and our social platforms as well and seeing, you know, where the growth has also come through. So, for example, the Coles Cooking Club has got um, over 30,000 um, members now where customers completely are um, sharing recipes and inspiration amongst themselves. And it's, it's largely um, a, a member and user generated content platform, which is, um, has been really heartening to see and is a really um, authentic community. And I think that that speaks volumes around how we're being able to, to get our content right and build a community off the back of that. Interestingly, I think we made the point earlier that unlike Zara, for you, probably more is more rather than less is more just for, for Coles. It's about uh, the sector you're in, right? Lauren, uh, measurement, what are you seeing across across the board, not just with, say, IAG and Coles? How are uh, brands and content marketers uh, measuring their work and their effect and, and its effectiveness very similar to IAG and Coles or is there different different spreads? Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of different approaches to measurement across our clients, which you know span several different sectors. But I, I think the more sophisticated measurement programs really, you know, take into account the customer journey and the role of of, of content across that journey. So it's really, you know content really is about nurturing an audience, you know, in a way that's very familiar to B2B, B2B marketers, you know, it's about nurturing that audience and priming them before you're asking them for an action. And that action could be as simple as signing up for a newsletter. So really the best content measurement programs kind of consider what you're asking to do the, the, the customer do at those different points on the journey. And I'd also say that, you know, one of the big myths here is that is that organic performance is a thing. Um, as, as Zara said, you know, the, the kind of connection between paid and earn is so crucial and really you the success of your content is, you know, really very tightly connected to the size and scope of your media budget. So, you know, if, if marketers, if 72% of marketers like the US are going to increase their investment in content, they're ready to really dig down and think very hard about how they're going to approach their media spend to support that. My next question, actually, Lauren, was around what's the split between, say, the social channels, the owned channels from from uh, from brands, brands' own channels, and even some of those those paid content networks that we I don't see so much of them anymore. But they used to be in the on the mastheads in the newspapers. You'd see them around promoting other content. What's what's the shift in distribution now versus a year ago, Lauren, uh, or two years ago, and where is it headed in terms of that distribution of content, paid versus owned versus organic? 
Is there is there a sort of a rule of thumb? Yeah, well, I, th- I think organics, um, you know, go on history for anybody who really is, is serious about this space. It's not it's, it's the organic performance is not a thing. Um, but I think that you're right that there probably has been a shift away, you know, from some of those, uh, you know, things like Outbrain and Taboola, which were, were kind of really very low quality engagement um, in, my, in my mind. Um, and, and more brands are really focused on on their own channels, on on supporting their own content with paid on social that's where i'm seeing a, a lot more investment and that's certainly what's you know what clients like iag are doing so zara are you trying then to use the socials to get people to come back to your own channels or are you just looking for impressions on the socials no we always try and close the ecosystem where possible i think we use our social channels as our always on and then i'll look much more broadly into you know paid and owned um, on a campaign brand basis to bring content through that. So we do a bit of both, to be honest, Paul, but I think it's just important, again, on the socials to listen to the feedback. It's one of the only two-way channels we have as marketing. So right or wrong, there's a lot of customer commentary there and a lot of insight. And we build a live data studio to be able to monitor that. So combining customer sentiment with Alexa technology and then combining with shareably out of the US. So we can see live what's working and what's not. I think you've got a big dashboard, don't you, uh, Zara, where you, all your people are seeing what's happening live? I had a beautiful 10 metre by 2 metre one. I haven't patted it for about eight months because we yeah, haven't been to the office. Right. But, um, I've got it live on my little monitor here and my team are in it um, hourly and daily. That's right. It pulls customer NPS, uh, customer service comms, um, and share of voice, share of social and competitor activity by post, by engagement, by commentary. And they're looking at that all the time. I was going to say, how can you do any work? I'd just be looking at that data going, oh, look, look at that one. That looks interesting. Do you get anything done with that with that data feed? Jill, this mix of uh, owned, paid and how you use it all, has it changed much for you uh, this year? And where, where do you think it's going, that mix of channel distribution? In terms of where we're at, I mean, I think we've really understood much more this year as a result of COVID, the strength of our own channels and the opportunity that we've really got through being able to use paid to direct customers into our own channels and just the sheer volume of and of the opportunity of our own sort of channels and, and the reach that we are able to to get off the back of our own channels. And, um, you know, Coles Radio is a good example of that. It's the number one digital radio in Australia and um, not just because it's piped through the Coles stores, but, um, you know, I think for us, it's really about understanding um, the mix that we've got in place through our own channels and how we can better, um, you know, improve the the ROI on those through um, pushing to it from paid. And um, and that's certainly, I suppose, one of the objectives for, for Coles & Co. as we group all of those disparate content streams coming together is making sure that we are sort of pushing to it from as many um, channels as possible. Very quickly, just explain for those of us that um, are probably catching up on Coles & Co, because it was all sort of wrapped up as well in, in this huge move by Coles to end its decades of, of print catalogue, right, to go electronic. But Coles & Co is what, just for those of us that are uh, behind the eight ball? Yeah, so Coles & Co brings together our sort of weekly specials along with that pairing of, of inspiration from a recipe perspective and that's broken down across um, each day of the week. So every every day we'll have new content coming through on our website to, um, to help customers sort of find that inspiration but also pairing it up with our catalogue specials so that the customers can still find great value and, um, and, and inspiration at the same time. Plus, we also take a bit of a, a look at right, what's happening, what's top of mind for customers right now and making sure that we have that overlay to tell the stories that, um, that we want to tell as a brand, but also the stories that we feel are going to resonate most strongly with, uh, with customers. And that was largely around meeting customers where they are, which is increasingly digital and understanding right. that more and more customers are, are now interacting with the Coles brand 
um, digitally as well. So I'm very interested actually in, in so uh, how all of you see future content being structured. I, I, we're running out of time as I, as I feared, but you know, Zara talked about Shareably um, and some of the platforms she's using to bring the data in. Uh, Lauren talked about Taboola and Out, Outbrain as, as network distributions that have possibly come down in priority. Uh, what are the technology platforms that, that, that you three are seeing as on the rise, both in terms of the content management systems, the distribution systems and the partners, how you're structured. You know, um, Zara's got 10 people inside. Uh, Jill, I think yours is a little bit smaller. You rely more on on, on external partners. Uh, just a sort of a wash up there from all of you on, on how you see that how you see that playing. Maybe Zara first. Yeah, look, we'll continue to do a mixture of both, Paul, internal and external. Internal for speed and always on. External with our partners and agency roster and Lauren at Storiation for quality. Because I think the one thing I've learned over the years doing what I do is not everybody is a storyteller. They will claim they are, but they definitely aren't. And that's where journalism and the good old-fashioned art of a well-written script, um, no matter what platform you're in and how long it is, really, really stands true. You know, that's what makes great content. So finding the angle, finding the insights. We'll continue to do a hybrid there. I have not nailed the technology of how to store and distribute content efficiently. So that is my challenge two year in. It's a big investment. Um, looking at products out there like Lumi, like Adobe Dam and where we go to and what they service and what they don't. So I think that um, creation to publish is is the next challenge for me and to be able to move that fast and, and store it all and find it and repurpose content to make sure you've got that evergreen and the system that everyone can see everything and you can do that quickly. That's that's my next challenge. Yeah, and Jill, have you got any answers for Zara there or um, uh, any tips? No, unfortunately, I think we're both in the same boat there and it's obviously becoming more and more critical as um, the appetite for content grows and um, how we want to be able to place it into a range of different channels and and finding a solution that is flexible that will serve up the right format at the right time in the right channel. And I think that, you know, to the point around the skill sets piece for for us, what I'm observing internally is that, you know, previous um, channels or, or areas or departments that haven't previously been exposed or had any responsibility for content are suddenly starting to have to take ownership for how content is coming through. So I really sort of see that's probably an interesting um, you know, change within organisations because content is becoming more of a, um, a recognised sort of discipline within the marketing space that um, more and more channels are going to have to adopt a, a much greater focus on, on content, content amplification and making sure that um, they're part of the, the storytelling machine within inside the within the brand. Fascinating. Um, Lauren, uh, what, what are you seeing? Well, we uh, at StoryOcean, we signed a strategic partnership with um, NewsCred, which is a content um, management system out of the US about 18 months ago. And, and we thought at the time that we were really, frankly, ahead of the market, and I think we are, but we believe, and we did it because we believe that, that content marketers need to invest in technology. They're going to need to do something, whether it is NewsCred or something else, both in, from everything from managing workflows and approvals um, as content sort of spreads across organisations. It's no longer just a team sitting in the corner of a few people, but there is content all across different organisations and and being able to coordinate your efforts and kind of be able to sort of see the value of that um, so that everybody can access that content, you know, the right people can can approve it and stakeholders can all see it, plus then be able to measure the value of that content, we think is a really key challenge in terms of the maturity of content marketing in this market. Um, so again, I, I, I don't think that necessarily a lot of our clients um, have solved it. They're all grappling with very similar issues. Um, 
you know, is it Adobe? Is it something else? Um, you know, how do they tackle that? But it is something that is, you know, if we want to be where the US is, which I think, frankly, is, you know, you know kind of three to four years ahead of us, then this is something um, that, that they need to solve. Jill, when we talk about technology and platforms, and this whole change to move quickly and, and the blockages inside companies to produce content that's much faster. Uh, how are you going about that? How are you dealing with this this notion of m- moving quickly and producing quickly uh, and the whole approval process that sometimes can block pace in some big organisations? Yeah, I would have to say it's probably one of our greatest challenges um, and something that we're really sort of working through now as a result of, you know, what's being presented to us. And I think it's an exciting opportunity for us to kind of really, you know, to Lauren's point, you know, content marketing is now, it's a responsibility that's borne across multiple departments within the organization. So there's a huge opportunity for us to work more collaboratively. So I would say we're probably moving to a more agile way of working where we're going to be having more daily standups, content meetings, starting to take on a little bit more of a a feel of, of, of a newsroom as you sort of touched on. Um, to be able to really make sure that we're responding in the right way because, um, you know, the plans are never the plan until they uh, they need to change. So I would say that we're, at the moment, it's still it's still very new for us and we are still looking at how best to to optimise ways of working and, and finding the right platforms to be able to do that. At the moment, we're just working very, uh, very quickly and um, we've just recently re-platformed our website. So we're still, um, you know, making tweaks and, and changes in the background to help optimize that experience for our customers. So it's very much, um, we're moving very quickly in that space to be able to put in place the right processes to be as responsive as possible. Zara, how are you going to collapse turnaround times and produce faster? What's your what's your grand plan? In terms of producing faster, I think we're there, Paul, in our always on uh, content. I think what I'm looking to do is do our really hero, beautiful content fewer, bigger, better, Um, and and really experimenting with niche. So we've done really well in few to many. I want to bring it back to many to few and really simplify and personalise and customise. So, you know, we're launching a caravan uh, safety travel uh, content series next week because people can't travel. So caravan sales have gone up, you know, and really just going, focusing on that audience segment and producing content for them. So I'm quite excited about um, simplifying and reversing the strategy of many to few while, of course, we do always on in our broadcast comms around brand as well. Lauren, the biggest uh, the biggest hurdles to companies producing quickly with quality and not too much crap, as, as my content marketing person who shall rename, remain unnamed, uh, says there's a lot of it out there. And that's the temptation, right, is you can go fast and then you deliver shite. Yeah, I think it's it's about it's partly about skill sets, isn't it? So, yes, you know, you're seeing more brands, you know, hire um, journalists in-house. But what I see when people come in-house is that they are, you know, consumed by often in these big organisations, you know, owning the strategy internally, kind of really having to manage stakeholders, you know, that they actually, it's very difficult often for particularly these smaller teams with only a couple of people internally to actually kind of really focus on the content creation, you know, so, you know, we, we, we're fairly unique in the sense that we're an agency founded by journalists. It was, it was totally my proposition is that, that um, if brands wanted to become publishers, they might need some actual help from people with experience in the media. Um, And so we've really trained our team of, of journalists and editors and videographers internally to really be marketers as well so that's where that two the two things come together I think is, is really the sweet spot you know we, it's not it's not just all about journalists kind of you know popping up and 
in brands and it's not about just, you know, kind of um, marketers doing content. I think we actually need to kind of merge these two skill sets and that's where you can actually kind of move faster but really keep an eye on quality because, you know, as, as uh, Zara said earlier, it, what she called herself a content killer, I always talk about murdering your darlings, which is, a, you know, an old, right. you know, journalism yes. phrase about killing things off. You know, we, if you worked as a journalist, you would have um, had your content in the kill queue day in, day out. That's, you know, you, there was a bar to reach in terms of, you know, kind of creating something for the audience that had value. And that's what we've got to focus on every single day. You are hiring journalists, Sarah. Are they able to um, manage this, the, the process and the, and the big organisational stuff that goes on or, they, or you let them just unleash on their work? I've hired one. I'd probably love 10, but um, that's why we use Lauren. I think the one I've hired wants 10 as well. She's pretty <laughs> right. stretched. Um, especially when you look at that skill set um, across that owned and earned, which is really important. So straddling the journalism narrative for the earned media versus what you're creating internally is kind of doubling your workload every time as well. So it's a challenge. I think it has to be a hybrid of in-house and out-house, but the journalistic skill set is becoming more and more important in-house if you're not going to push crap out there. You know, you really have to have it come from inside out and then partner as well. I think you better all get onto that and hire some because there's less and less of them, right? There's not many journalists left and I'll just have a plug there for my craft and go, go the journos, but we're a dying breed. Now, let's wrap up. Final thoughts from all of you on the next 12 months. Just give us a sense of the big the big things that are important to you in content marketing and what you're going to be doing in the next year. And God knows, I'm the, the, the caveat there is that when does, COVID, when does COVID sort of resolve, I guess? Lauren, let's go to you first. I think, you know, this is a year where trust is more important than ever, ever. And it's no surprise that really the most trusted brands that come up in those surveys are some of the biggest content marketers in this country, which is Coles and Qantas and, and, and those kind of brands. So I think that what's important is really continuing to serve um, something of value to that audience. And I think that's going to be um, a, a moving feast, you know, as sentiment changes, as, as this whole, whole thing evolves, you know, really, you know, thinking quite hard about what you're pushing out into the world is it the right time do you have the kind of authority um, to talk about that subject you know where, where should you play and I think that so thinking on your feet as marketers on a daily basis is going to be really critical. Jill your your thoughts the next 12 months you've got a little bit of work cut out for you um, a little bit of volume and um, so all sorts of things to, to play with what's your what's your priority? Yeah I think for us it's really understanding that you know and what we've seen this these past few months is that how content is it creates a connection not just with your not just with your customers and your team members, but you're also facilitating greater connection within those within those customers' households as well. And for us, that's really sort of where we want to play in terms of delivering that inspiration. So we'll obviously stay close to how things are um, evolving within people's homes and, and as they try and, you know, go back to their old lives and just making sure that our relevancy and authenticity is continuing to show up and making sure that we're delivering on our brand values and, and brand purpose around um, making sure that we are adding value to our customers' lives and, and helping them live happier and healthier lives. So that's that for us is the, the overarching objective and, and building that trust, as Lion said. Are you getting more budget, Jill? I, I would say that the more that we can demonstrate the value that content is adding within all of the, the marketing channels, and I think as we start to see more channels leveraging the content that we've been publishing, I'm hoping that that will naturally follow. Right, there's a lobbying effort there by the sounds of it. Zara Curtis, your final thoughts for the next year? Yeah, absolutely. To echo Lauren's point, um, leaning into the brand 
uh, of trust and content being able to drive that. Delivering on brand promise for NRMA insurance help. Um, IAG, make your world a safer place. I think help and safety are really, really paramount in this time and as we go into the world for the next 12 months. And I'm going to do it in a really big way. So watch this space, Paul. Uh, we'll be watching. So Zara Curtis, Jill Tenner, Lauren Quaidance, thanks so much for your time. Stay safe. A really interesting conversation and let's see what happens in 12 months' time. We might loop around. Thanks, Thank everyone. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.